Well, I'll go back to your piece again. I mean, yeah. that, that is what the other was made common mm. or similar mm-hmm. or relatable mm-hmm. to not I mean, I didn't experience anything close to what anybody in your stories mm-hmm. have experienced, but all the disparate groups in your stories mm-hmm. were all experiencing common threads mm-hmm. from different swaths of life and, and, and different places. And I thought, okay, this is, you know, I mean, this is really what it's about. Yeah. We have more in common than we have apart, all of us. Yeah. Um, which again is another thing, you know, I, I was hoping to show with some of the photographs is yeah. that look, we're all coming together for this. Welcome to Dialogues with Max Ferency. In this third episode of the Dignity and the Uprising series, photographer Sean Scheid and I talk about the concepts and creative process that went into Dignity Before Bread. Following that, we will listen to the piece of music itself. Enjoy. You, I think you do handle spoken word as um, percussion in a way, or mm-hmm. in some instances, you know, when Spanish comes into it, very mm-hmm. melodic. Well, I I view it all as as a melodic line, not necessarily yeah. that it's tone, but it's someone could be singing it, I guess. Um, but it's that thing. Like most people, when most people listen to music, I think, yeah. um, they listen to the melody and follow the words, and everything else is kind of just an accompaniment to that, right? And so knowing how that works and how that flows. It, that's why it was comfortable doing things, especially more in the longer piece, the Dignity Without Bread piece that you're referencing, comfortable doing things that would be confusing in spoken language because it's a piece of music. It's, it's meant to flow and ebb and thinking as a, as a melodic element, or I guess would be the best term. It was, um, in, it was interesting when, yeah. you, when you first presented the piece to me, mm-hmm. um, Bread Before Dignity. Um, I expected something different, and mm-hmm. so I was challenged by it initially. Mm-hmm. I was like, "This is—is is this spoken word? Is it song?" But then, it, then I started recognizing qualities that um, I appreciate in Joanna Newsom's work. Really, um, especially her album *Ease*. Yeah, um, I, I love that album. There's a lot of things she does with the way she phrases words, and she she mm-hmm. may phrase them certain ways. Uh, there's a syntax of how it is, and yeah. and that becomes an instrument in a way. Yeah, and I thought there were a lot of small places where you were using oh very much voices so. overlays a, as instruments. Very, I mean, it was definitely. I mean, you could call it a melody. You could call it the the rap. Like it's it's the, that, that rhythmic quality is definitely very intentionally in there. The first drum kick um, hits right when I you know when there's something bassy I say in my first phrase. It's very intentionally that way. Um, one of the, I guess, the more challenging or things I was experimenting with is I didn't intend everyone to understand every word in the piece of music. There's the beginning of the second movement where my character is speaking, or my character starts, and then the mother of uh, Mohammed Bouazid comes in, and you can't, it's kind of hard, and they're both English. I'm a, my character's a little bit quieter, but it's kind of hard. They're distracting. It's that, hard. That's to the see area where I think you become very Joanna Newsomey mm-hmm. too, like using the voices as instruments. Mm-hmm. It's really, really, exactly, really yeah. fascinating to me that that portion. Yeah, I was pleasantly surprised, and I, yeah. and I felt I came I came out of it with uh, not only increased knowledge but increased appreciation for the definition of song. <laughs> perhaps. Um, yeah, I mean it. 
part I don't know, and again, this is part of the why it took, I mean, that piece, Sticking for Bread, took me a year and a half to write, not because I was working every day hard on writing it, because I was just like... Sweating by the brow. Yeah, I was I was like, well, I have these ideas, how do they fit together? How, how do far along it? were you in the process when you sort of paused to do the recording at Penn North? Oh, I was almost done. Oh, okay. So it... And that's another interesting thing about, and that's why I like putting these two pieces together because I think they're very linked, right? Mm-hmm. Um, two of the places up until April 2015 were places where there are massive protests and uprisings, right? Right. Uh, I'd worked in the city for years with youth and schools everywhere, and was familiar with stories like the one I told of the student, which is why I was comfortable telling it because I'd heard that before. And then it was based on a real student and a real conversation with someone. It's fictionalized, but you know, the, the, it's, it's not fictionalized to the point where it's non-realistic. I think it's very realistic. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I had no clue until you said that. Was... Um, and so I just knew innately, just from experience, from traveling, I spent some time living in El Salvador after college because I just wanted to know... I had this theory, and I was in co- uh, the invasion of Iraq happened when I was in college, and I had this theory. And well, soon after the invasion of Iraq, I spent some time in Argentina. Uh, like, and I very intentionally went down. I want to go and listen. I don't want to go spread my opinions. I want to go listen, learn about like, people's life experience. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what that is. I want to kind of erase my expectations and learn. And, you know, there's a long history of U.S. Inva- uh, intervention in Latin America and, you know, coups and dictatorships we supported even in Argentina. And I, there was this, like, well, there's humans there in Argentina. I wonder what I have felt, you know? Right. I wonder what I felt if I'd went to Argentina right before the coup in, in, in 67 and the Dirty War. Or 76 and the Dirty War. I mean, I wonder, I, I started thinking, well, I wonder what, what I would have felt if I had friends in Baghdad, mm-hmm. you know? And I was like, well, where, where is that human element to, element to all this? And so that's why I went to El Salvador is I wanted to know, knowing that, you know, the U.S. in the 80s put billions of dollars into funding the, the military junta to suppress a Marxist guerrilla movement, I wanted to know what the real story of that was, like what the human element of that was. Yeah, it's like, why, why, do, why do people on the ground in Syria or in Iraq su- support, or at least on the surface, ISIS, or yeah. tolerate ISIS? Yeah. What are they providing that they weren't maybe not getting before, yeah. or what how, void are they filling? Yeah, and how many people are there for purely ideological reasons? Yeah. And how many people, I'd imagine the more higher up you go, the more you get into that ideological, but how many kind on of... The ground. It's about sa- it's about satisfying, surviving sort of yeah any of those yeah things. like in, in Syria and Iraq it's about providing electricity or s- schools yeah. or support you know infrastructure yeah. yeah I mean I read you know there's this interesting study that that talks about you know looks at food prices in places where the Arab Spring sprung up large and didn't other places right and say and it found a correlation between high food prices and like you know intensive Arab Spring action. And that kind of gets at it, but it misses a lot. And that's what interests me more. And that's why I went straight to that source of what about what this young man did 
really it's not just that he did that but everyone else when he did that everyone's like yes that's i've like it, it re- what he did resonated and his his troubles resonated with everyone else so <laughs> that must have happened other like there was did you did you hear bill nye's recent talk about how climate change has in his mind sort of contributed to the if not been one of the major causes no. towards extremism and the, the civil war in syria no no Syria has been in a, what most people don't realize, is in a really drastic water shortage Mm -hmm. for almost a decade now. Israel has too. Israel too, and Jordan as well. The Dead Sea is drying up very quickly, and they can't come to an agreement because Arabs and Jews. Mm -hmm. Nonsense. The Dead Sea will be gone in 30 years. At least it will be divided in two seas, which it already almost is. Hmm. Um, By geologically, not by nation states. No, just geologically. Like, it's, it's just evaporating. Yeah. Um, Jordan's pumping some, Israel's pumping some, but they can't, they don't have a policy involved in that. Israel, Israelis are using uh, water to suppress the Palestinians. Yeah. It's just a nonsense. But, so he was talking about sort of the economic depression that leads people to extremism, Mm -hmm. to the the easy road. It's similar to Nazi Germany Mm -hmm. in that, you know, you have a very depressed state Mm -hmm. at want for lots of things. They have a scapegoat. They use readily available symbols in the culture to rally people. You know, you had Germans using nationalism, uh, nationalism, Teutonic symbols, mm-hmm. um, uh, a made-up German past, mm-hmm. uh, you know, creation story of the state, that kind of thing, to rally people towards nationalism. You had similar things to what, like, ISIS and stuff yeah. is doing on that local level, the small level, saying, you know, we will solve these problems. There, I mean, well, and, and so, he, so he ties all together to climate change. But again, it makes it about, like, well, you really start to get it. Yeah. Well, and what Hitler was trying to do and what I imagine... And Donald Trump was trying to do. Well, no. No, what Hitler's... I don't... Maybe Donald Trump. I don't know. I'd have to look at Sorry, that. Sorry, that was just a snarky, awful comment. No, but, but what Hitler is trying to do, not that I support what anything he did, but he was trying to restore dignity to, to Germany. He Actually, unfortunately did it by that, demonizing the Jews, and and not just the Jews, the Poles, the Hungarians, gay people, Seventh Day Adventists. It's about a good yeah. It's about a good swath of an ethnic group being really butthurt about yeah. the First World War and the and we don't understand it now because we don't have that sense. We after Watergate, we distrust the government so much. We don't have that sense of national, not very often at least, mm-hmm. that sense of national shame. Yeah, and they felt that, and he brought dignity back and they felt that personally yeah, yeah. and that's, that's what all this the show of signs mm-hmm. were for the the pillars the the aesthetics i mean you i mean i personally i don't know if you i look at those scenes like the nuremberg rally mm-hmm. and, I, and i see i'm like oh this is pretty impressive the, the, looking yeah it's why we choose to echo it and say like the star wars and the new Star. Yeah. like echo it. it's pretty it, yeah. damn impressive all yeah. those old roman standards mm-hmm. were meant to call you back to mm-hmm. like the idea of rome and this glorious mm-hmm. empire um, but you're right. It is about restoring dignity to a people. So what? Now imagine ISIS is trying to do the same thing. Oh, a lot, that's what happens to a lot of these situations. And when they do it, that's how they get people behind them. But imagine going back. To, okay, looking at you know food prices in Sorry. in the Weimar Republic. If you parachute in, give people free food, and treat them as lower than you, does that restore dignity to them? Right, you're right about that. You're, you, you've you've done your your statistical analysis, and you have identified food prices, and you've met that need of what you've identified as what you think is the need of the food. But I don't I don't think that does right. And I think 
that wouldn't i mean people more people would eat they less people would starve that's good but that that wouldn't stop yeah a hitler from arising but if understanding those physical needs to be met while also understanding that dignity that was lost yeah, I mean, Wilson, for all the good stuff he did, mm-hmm. actually, he, he was pretty outspoken about a lot of the Versailles Treaty mm-hmm. uh, and the pressures it put on the people. Yeah. I feel like, I mean, that's really good in going forward, I think, to understanding extremism, or to understanding the Mohammeds mm-hmm. of of the world, yeah. uh, the Mohammeds specifically in your story. Yeah. You know, why somebody would set themselves on fire in protest. Mm-hmm. We deem that crazy. I was just thinking on the way over about you know they discovered two other the paris attackers who blew themselves to bits mm-hmm. actually the, the radio he said blew themselves to bits i was really surprised by how he said it but i thought i just thought to myself god who would oh. one to like make it make such a statement where you don't even know what's going to happen next you mm-hmm. just you're gone so you have no mm-hmm. idea what the effect's going to be but two to feel so passionately about something that you take it to the level of like, I mean, if you're gonna go, I wouldn't want to go that way. Yeah. Right. I don't know if that's a. I, I imagine it's over quick, but I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't set myself on fire either. It's like, but like, if you can start to humanize these stories and start to sort of think about, well, what could drive a person? Well, it's like to his credit, I remember a quote from George H. W. Bush. Yeah. Uh, right after he was the, good. I liked him. Right after the uh, L.A. riots, he's like, I don't know. He's like, I don't understand what would cause someone to to do to riot like that. Um, and those sentiments, I think, are probably some of the most important sentiments. And I don't think it's something necessarily, unless you get to that point, can understand it. But I think that having that openness of, oh, it's food prices or, oh they're bad people they're criminals like any of those answers yeah. i think having a unless you've been there having those answers firmly answered is is almost more dangerous this, this is it a, closes you yeah there was about a 10-year period when i didn't really write a lot of music i played in bands and did a little yeah. stuff but i didn't write a lot of music i was trying to figure out how to write it because i didn't want it to be protest music right i didn't want it to be this is the truth this is right Let's fight them. Because, I mean, there's a place for that, right? There are dictators that need to be toppled. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But it's I'll, not as easy as us but, versus the, the Nazis yeah, anymore. Yeah. yeah. It's it's not that simple. There's so much. And there's actually, I think most Americans are good. I don't agree with all of Americans, but I think at heart, a friend of mine did they're a, generally good people. A friend of mine did a road trip through the Midwest, Bible Belt, mm-hmm. all the way staying at parks and mm-hmm. whoever would let them stay and he's very liberal mm-hmm. uh, rob rulinski great photographer mm-hmm. um he came out with that that same uh understanding mm-hmm. he's like you know these people are good yeah they want they want to feed their families yeah and if you don't approach whatever you're doing from that assumption you're not gonna you're gonna you know rally your base but you're not gonna win a lot over anything that was it was sort of the one thing uh, dignity before bread did yeah. for me as a listener was you had these three really different stories mm-hmm. right layered in a melodic sort of way mm-hmm. but yet interlocking in a way mm-hmm. where i i sort of was able to gleam that like okay wow these are like really different stories but at the heart of it 
we all want these things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, people in Dundalk think they're so different than people in West Baltimore. They're not. Mm-hmm. They're really not. But the working class, they just have a bit more access. Well, yeah. I Quite mean, a bit more access. Yeah, well, but at, at the same but at, time. But at the heart of it. They want the same things for their kids and for their families. You know, from the mm-hmm. from the perspective of where I live, mm-hmm. many people think, oh, they just want to sit around all day. They just want to do drugs. They, they don't want to be caught. They don't want to do these things any more than you want the steel plant to close down or you don't want to make money or you don't want to provide for your family. Everyone wants these things. So let's come together. I don't know why we can't come together and just well, solve I mean, this. But, even beyond that, though, I mean, I have a friend who used to be a pharmacist in Dundalk. Not too far from you. A pharmacist or a pharmacist? No, a, a, a professional certified <laughs> working in a store pharmacist. And, you know, you can have this pride about who you are and, you know, what these people are doing to my city. But you hear some of his stories and there's not a lot to be proud of, you know? I live on Dundalk Avenue. There is not. and it, Which isn't to disparage Dundalk, but it is also to say, like, okay... There is a systemic, you know, there's a larger question of race and how these things, some of the things that are concentrated larger in African-American communities. But if Dundalk and West Baltimore came together and said, okay, you have some problems, we have some similar problems, how can we address these things? You know, I, I will tell you, having lived with you, mm-hmm. uh, for those who don't know, we lived together, yeah. briefly, um, sort of closer to West Baltimore than mm-hmm. not, um, I guess technically in West, yeah, West, in West Baltimore. Baltimore. Um, and having spent the past eight years on Dundalk Avenue, if you didn't, if you had no eyesight and could only hear what was going on, yeah, it'd be the, it, it's the exact same. When you do have eyesight and can see it, it's the exact same. They just have a different color to them. Mostly. Yeah, there's it's it's stunning to me mm-hmm. how similar it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also how much more drug use is in Dundalk, from what I can see at least. Um, and it's remarkable how those they just don't see it. Well, yeah, and that's that's the sad thing. It's like if we can, if you really want to see, if you really want to see social change, get the people from Dundalk, the people with Baltimore, to like sit down and be like, look, oh, we have the same problems. We need to come together and solve them. And now, dignity before bread. A friend of mine told me something the other day that really bothered me. But it took me a moment to figure out why. She was telling me how she was frustrated by a student of hers at the school where she works. This kid was a great student. He had a great relationship with all of the teachers. He was a junior who came to class always and always got good grades. But recently, He came to her after class to tell her that he needed to drop out for a while. I asked if he had said why, and after a moment, she finally said it was related to issues in the student's home life. He lived with his brother and sister-in-law, but his brother was just sent to jail for some minor offense. The student's sister-in-law never liked him much, and so she's kicking him out of the house while the brother's gone. The student's parents and other family aren't around, so he's going to have to move in with an older friend and get a job to pay rent. I asked my friend what her response to the student was, 
And she said she did what any teacher would do. She had to encourage him to try to stay in school. He was a good student and had a promising future if he just stayed in school. That's, that's actually what bothered me the most. I wasn't able to express it properly right away, but I know I felt for the kid. Yes, she was just doing her job as a teacher, but that job, that role, had nothing to do with the most pressing issues in the student's life at that moment. him and smacked him on the face. Mohammed was all in tears, claiming that he was beaten down. Man's dignity is not that trivial. He went three times to the municipality, but no one listened to him. Then he told Fuazi that he will kill himself. Mohammed didn't look for trouble that day. He was yelling out because nobody listened to him and nobody let him in. He told Fuazi, leave me alone, I will solve my problems myself. He went to the municipality, hoping that they will help him. He was screaming, open the door, open the door. He poured gasoline on himself while holding a lighter and set himself on fire. They refused to listen to him and they kicked him out. He was burning right in front of the government headquarters. He was screaming, let me in, let me in. I have been humiliated and mistreated. I actually don't know what happened next to the student after they had that argument. Nobody would listen. She initially hoped that he would come back after spending a couple days thinking about what she had said to him. And yet, two weeks had passed. There was no sign of Then I 
snapped out of my own thoughts of the student's feeling of rejection from his teacher and focused back on my friend. She cared about her job. She knew that many of her students lived tough lives. When he was young, he used to flee school with our neighbors and go to the local markets. These mates opted for migration for to Tunis for all the hard him. work that she did. He stayed here with us. But she also didn't appreciate they used to help the vendors in transporting the their goods. Of her in return, they gave so him hearing some him vegetables. Say, you don't give a shit After about that, me. he sells them on his As he turned his back on her and walked off. This was his job for these past the years. We are everybody liked people. him because he was nice. We are like you. Somos como tú, people who get up every morning to study, people who work hard and every day to provide a better future for those around us. We continue to be attentive to the concerns of all. For 23 years, we are working to people lived with corruption, oppression, humiliation, with having to pay bribes. The message was that any person has his livelihood threatened, who suffers because of officials, who is harassed by them, who is kept under their boot, who sees these officials who control the country, who do as they please, who do not let people like us live. Muhammad suffered a lot. He worked hard. Some of us consider ourselves progressive. Others conservatistas. Otros más. Some of us are believers. Unos creyentes. Some not. Otros no. Some of us have clearly defined ideologies. Others are apolitical. Nos consideramos we are all concerned, pero todos estamos preocupados political, economic, and social outlook, por el panorama político, económico y social que vemos a nuestro alrededor. As I heard her voice deepen and her words become more heavy, I took a slow, deep breath and asked her if she thought he wanted to drop out of school. She thought about it. She said, probably not. I asked why she thought he felt he had to. She said he was in a tough situation, and that he probably didn't see any other option. How soon after this, did the protests start? Exactly two days later, on the Friday, in a big way. But when Mohammed's cart was still in front of the government, and the fire was still burning Mohammed's body, some young men gathered around the government and started yelling at officials. At that very moment, the same time that it had. They and his uncle, the man who raised him, took Muhammad to the hospital and others continued to throw stones at the government and yell and shout in front of it. 
Some of them told me they were saying, Muhammad was oppressed. He was upset and downtrodden, and you are the people who did not help him. Where is the woman who hit him? You just want to humiliate us. Why didn't you open your door to him? The right to house, employment, culture, health, education, political participation, free personal development, and consumer rights for a healthy and happy life. The current status of our government and economic system does not take care of these rights, and in many ways is an obstacle to humanity. But when he set fire to himself, it wasn't about his scales being confiscated. It was about his dignity. Dignity before bread. Muhammad's first concern was his dignity. Dignity before bread. We need an ethical revolution. Instead of placing money above human beings, we shall put it back to our service. We are people, not products. I am not a product of what I buy, why I buy, or who I buy from. For all of the above, I am outraged. I think I can change it. I think I can help. I know that together we can. Come out with us. It is your right. 
That was my musical work, Dignity Before Bread. Thank you to Corey Dioclino, Braddock Hargett, and Hani Aluna for lending their voices for the work. Next week, we will have one more bonus episode to round up the series where Sean and I dive deeper into our creative processes and talk more about learning to notice, about serendipity in our process, and about the benefits of creative restraints. I hope you'll tune in. Until then, this is Dialogues with Max Ferency. Thank you for listening.